Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. So Dan, how did for the second time, you know? Um, well, here let's talk about that first because I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, go. Are we going to explain to people why there's a mic in my mouth? Well, no, face? I'm gonna go with my, I'm gonna go with my, with, with why are we doing this interview again? What, what do you think when I, when I, when I told well, you? Well, you mean why, why are we doing it from your end or why are we doing it from my end? Well, my end, basically. And then we can also is, explain. This is the seventeenth or eighteenth time that you've attempted to interview me about the four one one. This isn't me. <laughs> yes. I, I give us a fifty fifty chance of pulling it off this time. From my end, this is a mic test, which is why I'm worried more about the audio than the visual, and I have a giant black booger hanging in front of my face. How did four one one come together? So four one one was an interesting thing. Um, Al Quint had planned to do a series of seven inches in Suburban Voice fanzine, and he didn't care if they were studio projects or what they were, right? And somehow uh, Smalley's name came up, and, uh, you know, Dag Nasty, can I say, I've considered to be a high-water mark in, in all of hardcore vocaling, vocaling, vocal vocal performances and so forth. I'm a little preoccupied with the mic. I apologize. Um, anyway, uh, and so I immediately started thinking, who could do sort of a Dag Nasty type sounding, maybe a little with a little more attack or a little more of a sort of a DIY rawness to it type thing. Give me a couple songs quick that I could then submit to Dave and see if he, he would want to duet any of them with me. And I could snatch up this opportunity to have a seven inch in suburban voice. You know, I didn't want to do it with Carrie Nation, who had plenty of access to putting out our own stuff. And I didn't, you know, no for an answer was a thing of the past. So it was intended as a project, but when I heard the songs that Kevin Murphy got, and that was who I ended up going to, I liked them so much. I was like, no, 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 this needs to be a band, and Dave can do some backing vocals. Like, I'm not going to duet this or split this with him. I want to I build from this. Given that Kevin Murphy had played drums in Head First, how'd you know that he could play guitar? I think I saw him messing around on it some, somewhere and realized that's kind of an, an, an untapped resource there. But I didn't know, like absolutely no, 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 until I heard the cassette of those two songs. And what's interesting about this is I'm imagining Kevin watching this, right? And it could be that after 30 some odd years, I'm getting key elements of this wrong. Like I, I've come to realize that a lot of this retrospective stuff that we do, we end up telling the story as we remember it. And sometimes we're full of shit. But, you know, this is how I remember it. It could have been that I was exposed to him on guitar in another way. It could have been that he had those songs and they fit my need rather than him creating it for him, but I really don't know. So where did you record that seven inch? Was that done at West Beach? 
Yes, actually okay. was. Okay. And those first two songs, those those homophobic thoughts that feed the fire, they feel mm -hmm. not rushed, but they feel just there's an energy to them that I, I think that you would agree is there. Um, why do you feel that those songs like have that energy? Is it because it was well, there's, only... there's there's two different things. First off, there's an interesting parallel when you say that. Because if you compare the No For An Answer 7-inch to the No For An Answer 12-inch, there's a similar weight gain and larding out that occurs between those two releases. And we always felt like the 411 LP came out sounding kind of bloated compared to the 7-inch. So I don't know whether that's this, you know, young bands get in the studio and learn the toys and obsess about how to improve upon the first one. And actually, in the end, 10 years later, they look at it and go, wow, we really shot ourselves in the foot. Or in the case of the 4117 inch, West Beach was two entirely different build, or buildings during that recording. Seven inch was recorded at the original spot. The 12 inch was recorded at the new one. Seven inch was engineered by and produced by Brett Gerowitz from Bad Religion. The second one in the new building was done by Donald Cameron, who was kind of their house guy. Was the first so, I mean, one it's done different in that? Different buildings and different engineers, so they weren't going to sound the same. Was the first West Beach a house? Why do I think that? It seemed like every recording studio back then was a house, which was kind of great. Radio Tokyo was a house. You know, a lot of places were. Gotcha. Gotcha. And now look, and now we're doing this, and we're doing it from our houses. Yeah, me and my eight chins and my microphone eye are just, you know, <laughs> DIY is all hell. All right. Could you have known when you recorded, when you did Face, face the Flag, that years later... You know, you know, 19, we're looking like 1990, 1991. That's what you were writing about, the first war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. That, you know, a decade later, we would, we would be back in there again. And then, I mean, it's even more so now because you look at what's happening in Afghanistan and all that well, stuff. There's a lot of content on that album that translates alarmingly well. Because anything that is about social and political mores and sort of the downside of society, you would hope would age out. And become obsolete and instead most of that record has not um that said face the flag which is the song that you just mentioned in that question i was i had just cleared the bait the draft the existing draft page at the time i wasn't going to go if they if they reinstituted the draft both of the stanton brothers would have and i used to hang out with josh and scott stanton every day and i was horrified at the notion of them going over there basically to fight for oil um that song, it's still the same war, but people lost fear that that war was going to involve the draft decades ago. So that song is standing in a slightly different space. Um, those homophobic, well, yeah, a little bit, you know, don't ask, don't tell, went the way of the dodo, same-sex marriage is still an ongoing fight in some places, which is horrifying to me. Um, the just carte blanche that people had to use homophobic references playfully seems to at least be gone in the media. So there's progress on those fronts, but there's still plenty of, of, of sexuality based hate out there. The ones that are really interesting to me are any of the ones that sort of have to do with hate or just division or just toxicity between human beings or with government overreach like blackout. Those things are alarmingly relevant even in, in the Biden administration, not that Biden exactly trends left, but you know, the no 401 members were talking about actually playing together during Trump because Trump could have been the freaking cover of that record. 
that man's mindset and the mindset of the overwhelming majority of Trump voters were just alarmingly in sync with everything we hated. Was 411 the one band that I think you told me, you maybe even said this in an interview or something, that it's the one band that you would have no problem and have no second thoughts in your mind about doing a reunion today? Is it that is the band that it, because I think it could have total and complete social relevance. Yeah, it's the only, it's the only, it's the only, it's the only reunion that interests me that actually occupies space between my ears. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and and it, it hopefully will become less so, despite any romance about the music. Its social social motivations will hopefully fade as the culture matures, but who fucking knows? Right. Well, I mean, you would have thought that when you did it uh, 30-something years ago that there, mm -hmm. you know, that the things like you said that are still alarming you aren't still alarming you. At the risk of sounding like I'm name-dropping, this conversation reminds me very much of, of a conversation I had with Vic Bondi from Articles of Faith. And what's interesting is while I'm talking to you, I'm feeling different than when the last time I talked to Mario about all this, which was when I talked to Mario... We talked about how relevant all this was, right? Mm -hmm. As I'm talking to you and giving examples, I'm realizing that several of the situations attacked on those record on that record are not as severe as they were then. Like when I was giving my illustrations, they're sort of about homophobia. Just the things that I mentioned that were progress, that were fence posts towards progress, those aren't things to be trivialized. You know, and so it reminds me of when I asked Bondi if things were worse than when we were kids and then during Nixon and everything else. And he talked about, you know, no, that he had a relative who could be out and not live in fear and who could, you know, pursue her relationship publicly. And, you know, he just talked about all these different freedoms that didn't exist in his youth. And while these hates exist, and so it's still good to sing about them, I will say I'm forced to acknowledge that there has been growth. Now, you know, if you're in the, if you're in the save the world self-righteous business, acknowledging growth is a real pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> If it's true, it's true.